Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 344. Always value your own work. Try to avoid working for nothing. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Stuart Codling. Stuart, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Well, I, I suppose I am, as it were, not literally buckled up. Um, I, I was once coming to America uh, to do a little thing with uh, Dodge, I think, and uh, their PR guy said to me, bring a helmet. And uh, being English and whatnot, I, I didn't realize he was just, uh, you know, it was just a figure of speech. So I did actually bring a helmet. <laughs> well, I don't think you're going to need a helmet today. I'll try to keep the car between the walls and out of the ditch, as it were. But uh, that's pretty funny. Pretty cool. Well, sometimes you want to have your own helmet, not borrow somebody else's anyway. <laughs> so we'll have some fun here. Stuart Codling has been working in the automotive and motorsports field for over 17 years as a journalist and a broadcaster. He's the executive editor of Autosport and F1 Racing magazines. Some of his past roles were working at Motorsport, Evo, Octane, and Redline magazines as well. He handled PR for the first year of the Lamborghini Super Trofeo race series and even drove the pace car at Spa. Now that is cool. His current project includes the book Lamborghini Supercars 50 Years, where he teamed up with fellow Cars Yeah guest and photographer James Mann and Zach Miller from Motorbooks. Stuart, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more with us about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, basically, I do all sorts of stuff being a, a bit of a jack-of-all-trades because what, what does an executive editor actually do, people ask? And I said, well, apart from being executive, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I do all sorts of things. I, I, I write, I go to Grand Prix. I also cover the World Touring Car Championship for Autosport, which is uh, a much more low-key series in, in terms of the grand scheme of motor racing. Mm -hmm. But still pretty fun. You've got some lots of interesting characters there. Uh, I go to Grand Prix. I write about what happens. I, I get to meet all the people there. And, and very often we do fun stories as well. Like um, uh, I think one of the pictures that will garland this podcast will be one of me polishing the front wing of a Force India F1 car. Which yes. Is, uh, yeah, we, we did that just this last weekend. I, I was part of the team for a day. 
Wow. Uh, and, and the idea was to kind of put our readers inside the garage, which is you know, the one bit they never actually get to see, mm-hmm. and to do it on a Friday, which is actually the toughest day of a Grand Prix weekend because they have two 90-minute practice sessions. And if, if you're just a kind of a casual consumer of Formula One, you think, well, you know, how hard is that? Actually, you know, <laughs> those, those two 90 minutes are just really the tip of the iceberg, yes. as it were. And, and that's the time they get on track where they have to maximise their learning of, of how the car's working. But they are there at um, queuing outside the gates at five to seven in the morning, uh, ready for when the uh, governing body mandated curfew ends at 7am. And then they all pile straight in. And sometimes they'll be there till 10 o'clock at night, maybe midnight, oh, working, yeah. doing all sorts of stuff. So I, I did all that. I did everything from polishing the front wing, washing the wheels, fitting wheels, doing a Twitter takeover, much to the alarm and fear of the guy who usually does it and hasn't missed a session <laughs> for three years. Yeah. And hopefully when, when our readers get to see it, they'll get a much different perspective on, on what all those people are doing inside the garage. What fun. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of fun with what you do. I had the Distinct pleasure of being a guest of Ferrari when they first had the first uh, F1 races here in the States. Uh, well, not the first ones, but recently the ones that were taking place at the Indianapolis 500 Raceway. And getting to be in the garage with the team and hang around with those guys, oh my gosh, the stress levels and the work they put into what they do in very short periods of time is uh, absolutely amazing and spectacular. So uh, I got to share a similar uh, experience that you did. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's some kind of saying that's that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success and your career. I always like to say it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? I know you love driving, so Stuart, take the wheel. Well, I think a a quote that I'd say, I'd like to say it inspires me. I'd it came to me a little bit further into my uh, professional career, but it kind of described something that I'd always tried to do. And it, it's something that my friend Darren Heath, the great Formula One photographer, says mm. in his advice to aspiring photographers, which is always show your best work. Mm. And it, it's something I, I've always tried to do uh, whenever I write something. I don't just get to the end of my word count and think, oh, that's done and click send yes. uh, I always you know finesse it and try and make sure it's the best it possibly can be and I didn't realize that there are other people who did that to perhaps even a greater extent until I met Darren he came out to do uh, an American Le Mans series race in Las Vegas uh, and, and that was that, that was where I first encountered him he, we, we used him in the magazine I worked on and uh, after the first day's running I popped round to the uh, hotel room we were staying in that ridiculous hotel with that's got the mini eiffel tower sticking out of it <laughs> yes uh, and uh, hey it's america man what can i say <laughs> uh, when it's always light inside uh, always daylight and, and i popped around to the room he was sharing with another photographer because you know even back in what you might call the glory days of media we we, we watched the penny so he, sure. he, was, he was sharing with another guy we used uh, and i knocked on the door and Darren's in the ba- in the bathroom having having a shower, and the other guy said, "Yeah, oh, yeah, he's he's um, he's got his first lot back from the developer, and uh, he's just just done an edit." And, and I looked on on the bed, and there was this sheaf, uh, a plastic sheaf with all these transparencies in. This being the era before digital photography, mm-hmm. when photographers shot on film, and, and everything arrived in transparencies, and they they looked at 
it through a light box and decided what was what was right and what wasn't. And, and there'd, there'd been a few edits made on this thing, and I, was, I just held this thing up to the light, and I perhaps held it in my hands for no more than three seconds when um, the bathroom door came flying open, and Darren, you know, tears out with a towel around his middle, going, "No, <laughs> get off!" And you know, he tore this thing out of my hand, and he said, "Those are the rejects." Oh goodness. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Darren would have an idea for a shot in his head yeah. and he would shoot a whole roll of film uh, in the hope that just a few w- would be perfect because uh, he was more kind of adventurous than the, the convention, conventional photographers were. Right. And, and, and so that, that's, that's what makes his work brilliant. But at the same time, that, that was my ins- insight in, into the mania that drives people who are properly perfectionists rather than adequatists. Yep, yep. Any, you know. Anything less than perfect, you'd never see it. Absolutely. In fact, your cohort in this book, and we're going to talk a little bit about the book about Lamborghini that, that you've uh, put together, but uh, James Mann was on the show, the photographer for your book, and he told me when he goes on shoots, at racetracks, he usually shoots five to six thousand shots, sometimes as many as eleven thousand shots. So, oh my goodness! Of course, now it's digital, a lot easier to do that because you're not dealing with all that film. But still, a lot cheaper as well. A lot cheaper, yes, a lot cheaper. But absolutely incredible. What's a great mantra to have to do your best? Definitely a way to go through life and a way to be a professional. Could you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love for you to tell us. About that pivotal moment, as you remember it, when you really knew you were a car guy? I think I was a bit too young because I kind of grew up around the car trade because my father was a car salesman. He sold Volkswagens. So I was in and around uh, a car showroom from kind of about the age of five onwards. And mm-hmm. I found them fascinating things. I think he might have been a bit of a... He, he was a car guy, of course. He still has collections of uh, motor show brochures from the 1950s. Cool. And, you know, he occasionally fetch out something. Like, would, would you like to see the 1962 Olympia catalogue? You know, it might <laughs> be interesting. I, I think in terms of motor racing, he, he took me to a grass track race, uh, which is uh, a little bit like dirt track racing that, that, that you have in the States on, on over. But mm-hmm. in, in England was a little bit kind of less advanced. It was basically a farmer's field uh, with grass and some cones marking out the oh, okay. uh, the circuit, and, and you'd just drive some old wreck rounds. And, and, and I found the noise and the smell fascinating, and, <laughs> and that was kind of me hooked. Really, apparently, when when I was a kid, I could tell you the make and model of any car just by looking at the rear light cluster. Mm. You know, I've heard that from a lot of my guests who say when they were kids, they'd ride around the car and look out the windows and. There's a Ford, there's a Chevy, there's a Jag, you know. So I think we all, all of us who are infected with this passion for cars had the same same experiences as a child. I'd love to crawl under the hood here and talk a little bit about a challenge or a failure. We all go through these things in our careers and in our lives. And I wonder if you could share with us a huge challenge, a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. But more importantly, part of this that really matters is how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? Well, I think the most difficult period in my career was when I went freelance um, a few years ago. And it was kind of a risk because the economy wasn't great. But I I, I wasn't hugely happy with with the direction that the magazine um, I was working on was taking. Mm -hmm. And the, the company was looking to make cutbacks. So we very amicably 
parted ways, me with uh, a, a nice little payoff, and um, I, I went off into the world of freelance with uh, uh, at the time of handing in my uh, company phone and my pass card at the, <laughs> at the gate. All those thinking, perks. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, what have I done? Yeah. Uh, but I'd already put some feelers out and off- offers of, of, of work were coming in, one of which was, was my first book. And never having written a book before, I kind of thought, well, you know, if it takes a while to rev up the other aspects of, of, of the new me incorporated, writing a book is certainly going to be an interesting challenge and a very different one. So mm-hmm. that kind of spurred me on. And as it happened, I was, I never had a day off for the next five years, really. Uh, <laughs> it was incredibly... Sounds familiar. Uh, <laughs> uh, and um, I, obviously, having been in the industry for a while, I had contacts, but all my work came from... I would say repeat business and and personal recommendations. So I nice. actually didn't have to go and bang on that many doors to, mm-hmm. to find work. Pe- people would come to me and I'd very often be doing two or three things at once, just kind of spinning plates. Sure. So that, I think, teaches you to organize your time an awful lot better and to develop a, a, a greater understanding of, of what's possible in the working day. Well, the great thing about your story is there's a lot of people that listen to Cars Yeah that wish... They were doing something in their field of passion, which would be automobiles. Entrepreneurs, I call them wantrepreneurs, sidepreneurs, whatever. But stories like yours, that you took that gamble, you took that risk, you stepped out there, uh, became very entrepreneurial, took charge of your own life, and uh, and it worked. And that's great. Uh, of course, a lot of work. I love the spinning plates. I feel like I'm spinning plates all day long sometimes here, <laughs> <laughs> you know, being the one-legged paper hanger that I am. But uh, a lot of this is so rewarding for people like you and myself and other listeners uh, when you take that gamble and you go out there. I'm so happy you did that. Let's shift gears here, Stuart, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those career aha moments, a time when the headlights come on and illuminated your way for a new idea or a new direction. Maybe it's a new project. Maybe it's this book. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, I would say that the lights went on rather than going out because it, it <laughs> happened. It, it happened when the Ducati landed on top of me. Uh, I, I always say this. Uh, I was out um, on a photo shoot uh, riding a Ducati 748, and we were doing one of those nice. uh, things. It, it was a very nice bike. Yeah. Um, fortunately, because it landed on top of me, it wasn't too badly damaged. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh no! Oh, so you were literally underneath the bike? Uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's very strange. Um, and, and anyone who's had a motorcycle accident will tell you that uh, when it when the moment comes, you go one way and it goes the other, but somehow it contrives to land on top of you anyway. And, yeah, uh, they, that, I think they have a mind of their own, you know, where they they come back and try to get you. Yeah, so it's figuratively shaking its fist and going, oh, yeah, yeah. Why you. did you do this? <laughs> uh, here I am, a prime piece of Italian machinery, heading yep. for a ditch somewhere near through. Yeah, oh, shame <laughs> on you. <laughs> Uh, and, and so that was it, you know, photo photo shoot slightly over. We we were doing one of those things where you do cornering shot with the knee down and ah. it went slightly wrong. But as I said, um wasn't too uh, badly damaged. Uh, I was able to ride it home gingerly back to the office and you, you make that dread phone call to the owner or in this case, Ducati oh, UK. Yeah. Oops. And it was like, uh, uh, okay. Um, uh, and then when it when it came back, we, we, we sent it back to them. 
uh, and I sent a fax with an apologetic letter, and uh, <laughs> and the guy actually telephoned my boss and said, um, "Can you tell him to stop apologising? Most of our bikes come back in bits." Oh well, there you go. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> but um, from from that moment, I kind of realised that I wasn't really cut out to be the sort of person who did action driving for a living. I was not going to be a racing driver or a racing motorcyclist or ah, a proper okay. road tester. So I should concentrate on being sneery about other people's uh, work in that uh, direction. So that was when I decided I should probably work in motor racing and have test driving cars as a bit of a sideline uh, and, and writing about them rather than um, driving. pushing them to the limit, certainly on the public <laughs> road, because... Uh, there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. And, oh, uh, well. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you weren't hurt uh, badly in that case. I had a similar situation with a 748, although the office I was working in at the time, a gentleman rode his 748 Ducati through my window into my office. <laughs> so uh, I, <laughs> if he's listening, I won't say his name because he, to this day he's embarrassed about it, but uh, it was quite uh, incredible moment, that, to say the least. So, uh, yep, those Ducatis got to be careful. I rode a monster for years, but I love Ducatis. They're awesome bikes. Maybe it was a fault with the 748, and that we should start a class action suit going. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you can blame machinery all you want, but it's usually rider error. So, <laughs> hey, how about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many. You've done so many different things in your life, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? The moment my first book arrived in its uh, ah. in its FedEx carton, uh, and I and I undid it, and it and it was there. Um, that that I think was uh, something that have, even having done a, a lot of really interesting things and worked for lots of magazines, and having uh, sadly rather a lot of them still here, squashed together on the shelf, uh, gradually going yellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, actually, having a hardback book with your name on it, and, and looking at the the lovely pictures in it. And, and the sort of the moderately all right words that have attracted a few decent notices uh, on Amazon and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, just just to sit there and look at it and think, you know, this, this was nothing a few months ago and kind of we made it happen. Yeah. I, that, that really, it, it, was, it was exciting. And, um, and then once it went out and it started selling well and um, it was getting good reviews and, and especially when you get um, reader reviews and you see people actually enjoying it, people, who actually, people who've spent their own money on it rather than getting it sent to them for free. Right. That really is, is a very good thing. What's the title of that first book? It was the art of the Formula One racing car, Perfect. or the art of the Formula One race car. Yes, you worked on that with James Mann, the photographer, right? Yeah, that was the first uh, book I did with him. Yeah, fantastic book. I have that book on my shelf. We talked about that a little bit when I spoke with James a few days ago. You guys did a spectacular job with that. Very nice for your first effort. Very nice indeed. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And if you could share a memory you have with that car. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've not owned very many exciting cars uh, in in my time. My my first car was a Volkswagen Polo, and I remember we were a menace um, <laughs> around the streets of Canterbury where uh, I was at university. Because um, oh, this is going to be so so embarrassing. But uh, apologies to the sturdy folk of Canterbury. If you ever got squirted with a water pistol by oh <laughs> no, that was me and my friends. Um, I I think my uh, I, th- I think my, my favourite machine I owned, I had um, a Honda Hornet, which was a great street bike, a- absolutely 
marvelous characterful uh, not very uh, expensive not very demanding uh, bike one of those things that took an old sports bike engine and put it in a sort of a street fighter frame mm-hmm. it's it's the sort of bike that if, if you've got a kid to draw a motorbike you know if you if you grabbed a random five-year-old or something and draw me a picture of a motorbike it would look kind of like that <laughs> not an italian beauty <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it was um a, a fantastic bike but unfortunately, it had a fuel tank the size of a Jif lemon, so it was a good thing I lived in uh, <laughs> London at the time because uh, I spent a lot of time at petrol stations. Yeah, I bet. How about seller's remorse? Is there a car or a bike that you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? I regret letting the Hornet go, but we moved out of London and... Um, uh, blimey, riding up the motorway on a bike like that, it's almost like having a small person basically sit on your shoulders and try and forcibly rip your head off. It really is. You know, it's, it's, w- w- once you get above 70 miles an hour, your head's kind of going... Yeah, and I, I went up to collar sizes in a shirt just through um, my neck, kind of... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like an F1 driver. Very cool. Exactly like that. It's you know also quite scary. For oh, other yes, people. yeah, I would only imagine it's. My father had an MGTC when I was a little boy, and driving that car on the freeway was a similar experience with the top down. It just didn't go that fast. It was kind of wandering all over, and the wind would just be blowing your eyeballs through the back of your skull. So, I usually ask at this point about current projects, but I'd love for you to give us a little uh, insight for those listeners who have not yet purchased Lamborghini Supercars 50 Years that you and James put together and, and Zach at Motorbucks. Could you tell us a little bit about the project and what made it special for you and maybe a couple of situations that occurred during the process of, of publishing the book? Well, I can't quite remember whether it was James who pitched it to me first or Zach. I think it might have been James because he, he, he's great at coming up with ideas and spotting anniversaries. And, uh, and he had noticed that while the 50th anniversary of Lamborghini as a car manufacturer had passed, it was coming up to 50 years uh, since the debut of the Mura. And he sort of said, well, why, why don't we um, do, do a 50 years of Lamborghini supercars book? And um, and I said, well, James, I've got the 40 years of Lamborghini supercars book. How are we going to make it different? Um, <laughs> And he goes, oh, you know, just, just, just do it. You can, you can do it. You know, you, you've got to do it. And and he was really insistent. Then then I got an email from Zach saying, um, James is very keen for you to do it, and I'm sure you'll do it well and and differently. So yeah, the, you know, the first challenge was to um, contemplate all the books that have ever been written about Lamborghini and um, working out how to make it kind of different, hopefully better certainly have have some intrinsic value that would make it I, I would never call it the definitive lamborghini book because there have been huge volumes committed to single models uh you know take joe Saki's mura bible which mm, yes. I, i'd say is about twice the size of, of the book you know it's it goes into such detail you, you know you even you even know what jumper the designer was wearing on any given day it's uh, <laughs> so detailed it's a, yeah. it's a proper labor of love but I thought the way the way to tackle it is to have great reverence for Lamborghini as a brand because you know it, it's a brand steeped in myth. You know it's it's, it's a legendary uh, manufacturer, but also the the myth itself is very interesting. So you know the the very first thing we come to, um, what I thought should be my introduction, was the business of why Lamborghini actually 
from being a tractor and air conditioning manufacturer decided to make supercars and of course the 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 grand story is that um he had an argument with enzo ferrari <laughs> uh, and i thought the great it, the the, the, the proper way to introduce a book about Lamborghini is to say, well, actually, it may not have actually happened. This is the way he describes it. But he was a tremendous self-mythologist for Riccio Lamborghini. So mm. who who knows whether it actually happened? But it's a great story. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. It's had so many owners, the Lamborghini brand, all of whom have kind of been lured to it like a moth to a flame, <laughs> but not been able to make it financially work until Audi came. And during their due diligence, realized they had to make more cars. It was the only way to make a profit, just make more, sell more, which to all the entrepreneurs out there are thinking, duh, why yeah. didn't anyone <laughs> think of that? They just couldn't. The, the previous owners had just never managed to make it stick. Sure. So uh, it was very, very interesting to look at that. And just the way these cars were designed back in the day, you know, looking through interviews with Bob Wallace when he described um, the way they used to race on the public roads with uh, Ferrari test drivers and uh, they'd punch their tickets in the uh, toll booth at the Autostrada to see how fast they'd gone. Uh, pretty amazing and epic. So before too long, I actually realised, yeah, you know, we, we, we can do this. It, it'll be different. It'll have value. It'll be worth um, reading and it'll convey I think some of the excitement of Lamborghini but also a, a occasionally having a sort of a realistic cast as well you know we'll, we'll look at some of the cars and say well actually beautiful car but you wouldn't want to reverse park it. <laughs> yes well you've done all of the above with this uh, beautiful book fantastic book you know I call these books coffee table books because they're books that you leave out and you want to keep going back to and you don't want to just stick them on your shelf and forget about them so Bravo, you guys did a fantastic job. I love the Mark Lamborghini. There's there's so many things so special about it, and I believe you captured all those special things. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Stuart. I love asking this question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Um, I To drive personally, I, I quite like to gad about in... So, so something classy and and yet comfortable. I, I'd like I'd like to be a Mercedes. I think sort of solidly built and calmly cruising the roads with uh, a sort of a, a a general air of polish and quality. And uh, <laughs> very nice. Not the um, flashing the headlights up your back bumper sort of Mercedes driver. Not that sort of one. But uh, yes, one one that cruises the roads uh, and uh, with giving salutations to all and uh, spreading good karma in their wake. There you go. That's why I like that question so much. Very nicely done. So Stuart up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. 
works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Stuart, we're back and we're entering what I call the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Okay. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Don't buy a Peugeot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a first here. <laughs> well, um, I know I, why, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to buy a Peugeot 205 1.9 GTI, and this car was not in the first flush of its youth. It, the, the, the time of the... 205 GTI T16, as driven by Toivonen in the 80s, was long past. Yeah. Um, we were well into the 1990s. This car was long in the tooth. And <laughs> um, and, and my dad, the former Volkswagen salesman that he said, no, don't buy a Peugeot. Yep. So I walked away. My friend bought it, and Uh-oh. it was awful. awful. I think it's two cars glued together. It was most <laughs> definitely a cut-and-shut job. Oh, that's pretty funny. I like that. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Um, I don't watch daytime television. Good for you. <laughs> I, the, uh, that, I, the best advice I can give to anyone is just uh, turn it off. Leave uh, it off. Yeah. When, when I, uh, you know, certainly when I was freelancing, I, I was concerned that um, I might, you know, get addicted to the bold and the beautiful or something stupid, <laughs> just something stupid like that. Oh, um, I'm so glad that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, and you know, as soon as my wife went, left left the house for work in the morning, TV off, and then not switched on again for the rest of the day. And, you know, then the day is yours, yes. for, whether you're working at home uh, or going out and doing, meeting clients. Um, you, you, you're just so much more productive. It's, yep. it's uh, there are no distractions, and there is nothing worth watching on during the day. Yes, absolutely. You know, mostly has to do with uh, effective use of your time. But uh, you know, my father's 84 years old. He's retired, very busy man. But he calls TVs death boxes because he's <laughs> seen so many friends just sit around and watch TV all day when they retire. So yeah, turn the dang thing off and uh, get up from your desk, turn the computer off, and go do something. So. There you go. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? I like, uh, and it's it's a it's an amusement. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as a resource, but I, I would suggest your listeners will probably enjoy sniffpetrol.com, which is a satirical website that um, kind of mocks the car industry and people within it. It's very very funny. Uh, and some of the characters in it are based on real people. So if, if you're uh, an avid consumer of road car and motorsport journalism, you will probably recognize who some of these satirical characters are. I see. Sniff Petrol. I love that. First time that's been recommended here. Fantastic. We'll make sure that's on your show notes page. I can't wait to check that out myself. Now, how about a book? Other than your books, is there one book in particular you think that our listeners would really enjoy reading? I've just reread The Last Road Race by Richard Williams, mm. which is about the 1957 Pescara Grand Prix. Uh, and, and I think anyone who loves motor racing should read uh, that book because it's uh, a beautifully researched and written snapshot of a time when people really would 
drive um, Formula One cars, sports cars, flat out on what was a public road. And, and I think in 1950, Fangio was clocked at 192 miles an hour oh on the, what's called the flying kilometre uh, on one of the straights wow. there. And, and they were public roads, um, crazy days. And it's, it's just a beautifully evocative book. Sounds like a wonderful book. I remind our listeners that you can find links to this book and all the things that Stuart has shared with us today at carsyacom slash Stuart Coddling. All right, Stuart, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about what the cost is because today I'm going to write the check. I'll even ship it over there to England to you, okay? <laughs> oh, FedEx, yes. Fed- oh, okay, I'll FedEx it, yeah. <laughs> you know, as a little side note, I actually know a guy up here in the Northwest that bought a car at auction in London and have it had it overnight FedExed to him here in Seattle. So <laughs> it can be done. It can be done. What would that one vehicle be and why? Right. Well, let's have a think. Um, we are going to have to make it one of the Holy Trinity, which is Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eliminator round, um, as, <laughs> as Darren Heath, the Diane of Formula One photography would say, do you prefer bass or treble? Uh, so uh, let's go for base. Um, I will say Porsche 911, air-cooled, um, a 70s or 80s model, I think. Not one that you would necessarily want to drive at great speed, given that that was kind of before they'd sorted out the inevitable physics of having the engine in the wrong part of the car. <laughs> but just, you know, beautiful car, beautiful noise, yeah. slightly suspect ergonomics. But um, I, I, I would have it in the Gulf powder blue and would never need another car. So we're talking Ferrari, Porsche, Lamborghini. So are you narrowing it down to that Porsche then? Yeah, I, I would I would probably go for uh, the Porsche, maybe with a ducktail spoiler. Um, well, the car that you want then, and I'll augment this, is the RS Carrera 73. Yeah. That would yeah. be it. So let's narrow it a little further. Would it be the touring model or the lightweight? Oh, that's difficult. I think I'd go for the touring model because, uh, you know, the lightweight always sounds a little suspect to me. <laughs> well, a lot rougher uh, ride for sure. And if you want to enjoy the car on something other than the track, uh, that would be the way to go. Well, you chose my choice as well. That is the iconic Porsche collector car and in Gulf Blue. Oh, my gosh. And I have a feeling when I go down to Rensport, uh, down Laguna Seca, I'm probably going to see a bunch of those cars down there. So, I'll find one for you there and uh, write somebody a really big check because those cars have gotten obscenely expensive in recent times. But that's uh, true, is that's so good? Yeah, I know they're just wonderful cars. Well, great choice, my friend. Absolutely fantastic, Stuart. You've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you head off into the sunset in that? Carrera RS 911. I would say it, it, my piece of advice is a sort of kissing cousin of uh, Darren's uh, advice that, that we, we opened the podcast with. Uh, and I would say um, always value your own work. Try to avoid um, working for nothing. That, <laughs> that is what I would say. And, um, and, it, and, it, and it begins with the process of always showing your best work because in doing that, in, in trying to be a perfectionist, you have put some value into it and then if you then give it away for free you've actually reduced its perceived value to yes. zero 
Yes. Um, which, which I think, when, when you've worked hard to create something, is is quite tragic. And you don't want to be exploited by people who would um, take your hard work and profit from it themselves. Uh, and and I, I, I do feel really badly for a lot of people who want to break into journalism and end up going on interminable internships and, and being told by uh, rapacious new media companies that uh, they should work for free to get a foot in the door because yes. from that from that moment on basically you know the, the shackles are on the, the handcuffs are on and um and, and they've they, they've kind of capitulated uh, as it were you you're saying my work's worth nothing because you're not paying me yes for it. yes well very well put <laughs> i love the way you stated that and it Really, it does. It, we owe it to ourselves as uh, as people, as as entrepreneurs. When we create things, we create things of value. So I love the way you put that. Did it very well, my friend. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and also get their hands on this new book, Lamborghini Supercars: Fifty Years? Well, um, hopefully, a certain uh, online book stockist that also stocks other things not quite related to books that is named <laughs> after a South American river yep. uh, will be uh, stocking it shortly. Other online book options are available, uh, and also do consider uh, popping in to your local specialist retailers because they are people who view uh, specialist motoring books. Uh, or, or books any, uh, of any shape or form as uh, valuable commodities in their own right, rather than, I don't know, I, I often feel that wholesalers, while they give you a good deal, view books as being nothing more like apples and oranges or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a book is, is something to be cherished. So yeah. if you um, would like to obtain a discount, feel free to uh, visit said online emporium. Uh, if you want to keep <laughs> a local bookstore in business, go and see it there. I I, I would like to say I guarantee you'll enjoy it, but um, obviously some people take guarantees quite literally and they might know where I live. <laughs> well, I know that they will enjoy it. And do you have a website where people can learn more about you individually? Uh, you can go to the seldom, uh, nay, never updated www.stuartcodling.com or you can find me on www.autosport.com where I uh, write stuff along with my colleagues. We will keep you up to date with... The latest happenings in the Formula One, World Rally, World Endurance, uh, World Touring Car, IndyCar and NASCAR worlds, as well as MotoGP. So if you're into your motorsport, that is your one-stop shop and you will find my ramblings published there quite regularly. Great publications. I'll tell our listeners if you haven't already seen them, which I'm sure you have, but uh, fantastic. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Stuart's been so kind to share with us today at carsyad.com. Just put Stuart in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with links to everything. Stuart, thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners today all the way from England. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!